You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Please be seated. It's so good to see all of you here today. Um, Got a record number of group of people in the room. It's so good to hear you singing. Uh, just beautiful, and I know that there's many of you also watching online, and we're really grateful that you are here as well. I'm Corey. I'm the lead pastor here at Third, and especially if you're visiting, um, really want to welcome you and hope that you can feel at home despite these strange conditions. We are um, going to hear God's word read today by the whole Woy family, um, and so they're going to be reading from Galatians chapter five, verses twenty-two to twenty-three, and then Matthew chapter twenty-five, verse twenty-three. So let's hear God's word. A reading from Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, if you have uh, been with us at all over these last couple months, you'll know that we are in a series that we're calling The Church in a Time of Crisis. We're we're doing a series on the, the famous list of the fruit of the Spirit, In Galatians 5, Um, and in that really famous passage, Paul talks about the fact that if if you're a Christian, if you belong to Christ, you now have two operating systems at work inside of you. You have the old operating system of the flesh, which keeps you responding to things out of the old impulses of your sinful and selfish desires. But then you have this new operating system of the Holy Spirit, who is leading you to act out of your new life in Christ. And often these two operating systems are at war. And the premise of this series is that over this last year, these last 12 months, can you believe that it has been 12 months? And that over these last 12 months and all of the accumulated crises and pressures of the last 12 months from the pandemic to the racial conflict to an election and all of these things, like pressure reveals what is under the surface of the ground. So the accumulated pressures has revealed what is under the surface of our lives. And we've seen that maybe there is a lot more flesh at work in us than we have cared to admit. And we've certainly seen that in the American church at large. We've seen that in many ways, it seems like the American church has been more formed by things like, um, like consumerism and militarism and nationalism and a thirst for power than, than by the, 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 the way of Jesus and his kingdom. And we've seen it in the lives of our individual lives that we've seen a lot of yucky stuff emerge in us. Things like anger and envy and hatred and idolatry and selfishness and dissensions and rage, the things that Paul calls the fruit of the flesh. Now it's vital for us to see this and to own it and to take responsibility for it and to grapple with it because it is, it is many times, it is these, these character flaws that prevent us most from being the people that God wants us to be. Have you ever met a Christian or do you know a Christian or maybe you're one yourself um, 
who is a very committed Christian and you know lots of the Bible and they know lots of you know, theology, but there are some very glaring character flaws in their lives that they simply cannot or will not see, even though everyone around them can see it very plainly. Have you ever seen such a, many of you are nodding your heads, you know, they can't keep their mouth shut. They can't keep a promise. You tell them a secret, next thing you know, it's, you know, it's, it's everywhere. They're incredibly vain or arrogant or conceited or harsh or abrasive or overly insensitive and overly getting, always getting offended. What, what are all these things? Well, we might call them character flaws, but Paul calls them the fruit of the flesh in us. And yet so many of us, maybe the majority of us, never actually try to do anything about these flaws in us. Why? Because they don't seem like a big deal. Like we're not murdering anyone. We're not committing adultery. So they just don't seem like a big deal. And yet it is these smaller things, these character flaws that are killing us and that are destroying our witness and they're robbing us of joy and robbing God of glory. So we've got to do the hard work of repentance, of taking stock of our lives what's really going on in our hearts, all that's been exposed and asking the Holy Spirit for help. We want to look like Jesus. That's what we have to offer to a world in crisis more than anything else, not power, not being right. What we have to offer to the world is Jesus Christ who wants to be made known through us. And so we're asking the Holy Spirit, would you shape us more into your character? which is the fruit of the spirit. And so we've been looking at that, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Today we're looking at faithfulness. What does it mean to be faithful in a time of compromise? Let me just start by giving you a couple of different scenarios that you can try to picture in your imagination. You know, somewhere a mother is telling herself, you know, I wish my son would pack up, leave the house and never come back. Maybe one of you has <laughs> heard some nervous laughter. <laughs> I'm not reading your diary. Um, and yet she remembers, she remembers her promise. She remembers his baptism. She remembers her fidelity to her own child. And so she continues to endure through pain in love. Somewhere a business person has entered into a contract only to discover shortly thereafter that the contract is pretty dramatically to his own disadvantage. But then despite the temptation to find a legal loophole, he refuses to renege on his word, even though it is very costly to him and to his own company. Or kids somewhere, a child is choosing to tell the truth about why her little brother is screaming his head off in the next room. She chooses to be honest about her own responsibility for what happened, knowing the consequences that it will bring upon her own head. You know, each of these scenarios, as different as they are, is a demonstration of what the Bible calls faithfulness. Faithfulness is a little tricky because it has such a broad array of meanings, but maybe some synonyms would help. Reliability, steadfastness, constancy, fidelity, dependability, trustworthiness. Um, Jerry Bridges says, the faithful person is one who is dependable, trustworthy, and loyal who can be depended upon in all of their relationships and who is absolutely honest and ethical in all of their affairs. Um, Dr. Chris Wright says, faithfulness means you know what you really believe, whom you really love and what you are ultimately committed to. 
Faithfulness means being sure of what you want to live for and what you're willing to die for. I think one of the best definitions of of, uh, faithfulness is Eugene Peterson's title from his famous book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Faithfulness is staying true and staying put for the long haul. Now, if, if you're a Christian, we get our supreme definition and understanding of faithfulness from God himself. We just sang about it. You remember? We think, great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. What an amazing statement about God. And that phrase of faithfulness is often affirmed by God about himself in the scripture. So one of the earliest declarations of God that we hear in Exodus 34, God says this, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness are often paired as attributes of God. So it says in Psalm 36, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. God is faithful in the way that he loves us in his world, which means that he's not, he doesn't love us on basis of his whims or his emotions or his feelings or about how he feels about us when he wakes up in the morning. He doesn't love us based on our behavior or our performance or how we're doing. His love is entirely rooted in his making and keeping his promise of fidelity to us. So he says to Abraham in Genesis 12, I promise I will bless you and and make you into a great nation and all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. He he promises in Exodus 6 that I will be your God. You will be my people. He promises in the prophets that I will never leave you or never forsake you despite your own rebellion. God, think about it this way. God voluntarily limits his own freedom. Isn't that amazing? He limits his own freedom by binding his triune life to a rebellious people and says, I will always, always be with you. And God is so serious about this that he actually fulfills it in his own suffering. So at the last supper, Jesus picked up uh, some bread and he picked up a cup and he said these amazing words. He said, this is my blood, the blood of the promise, the covenant. It is poured out for many. For, for, so that sins are forgiven. And then a day later, Jesus spilled his own blood on the hill outside the city in complete faithfulness to God's ancient promise. Jesus Christ bears the terrible cost of the divine promise. And then he rises again and he makes a fresh promise to his people. He says, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age, Matthew 28. So friends, this is amazing. The gospel itself, the message of Christianity is a message of God's faithfulness to his word. If our salvation and forgiveness depended on our behavior and our performance and our faithfulness to God, we would be condemned forever. But praise be to God, the only thing that secures our salvation and forgiveness forever and ever and ever in the whole hope and future of the world is God's own faithfulness to us because he loves us. And so now all these years later, you know, we're living 2000 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes you might wonder, hey, where is he? 
<laughs> you know, um, what keeps us hanging on? What keeps us enduring in hope? What keeps us believing that the future of humanity and that the future of the planet is actually a good future of joy and justice and shalom and not a future of disaster? What keeps us holding on? The promise of God. That the same God who was faithful to fulfill his promise all those years ago is the same God who will fulfill his promise again. So we stand with Peter who says in 2 Peter 3, we wait according to the promise. We stake our entire lives and the future of our whole planet on the faithfulness of God to his word. Everything in the universe hangs on the faithfulness of God. Isn't that so beautiful? And so, you, you know, given that faithfulness is such a part of God's character and so central to the gospel, you would expect that if God wants to make us like him, he would want us to be faithful too. So faithfulness is part of the fruit of the spirit. Now, it's also no surprise that we as human beings find faithfulness to be incredibly difficult. Have you noticed that? So a couple of things make faithfulness so difficult. One is what's inside of us. What's inside of us, right? Um, throughout scripture, God laments how fleeting, like the mist, you know, or, or a word I like, the ephemerality of, of God's people is when it comes to their own devotion to God. So Hosea chapter six says this, what can I, God says, what can I do with you, O Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. You remember, you, you might've gone outside this morning to pick up your paper outside and there was you know, some dew on it. And then you know, an hour later, everything's dry because the hot, God says, your love's like that. Full of passion, gone, fleeting. That's what God says our devotion is like to him. He often uses a metaphor of marriage to describe his relationship with his people. And yet it turns out God has like the worst marriage in history, the rockiest one, right? As we're constantly straying to other gods, straying to other idols, giving our hearts to the wrong thing. Uh, uh, as the hymn says, we're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And so there's something inside of us that keeps us unfaithful, but there's also something outside of us, all of the external pressures from the culture that we're living in. Elizabeth preached a great sermon last week on how our society has lost a shared sense of what is good. And one of the byproducts of that is that our culture focuses less on what promotes the most good and instead focuses on what maximizes the most personal happiness. What maximizes the most personal happiness? So when there's no shared understanding of the meaning of life or the common good, we become a collection of individuals who are each seeking to maximize our own personal welfare. And so you can see in a situation like that, that faithfulness really gets in the way often of happiness. So, so for example, you know, why stick to a promise if it holds you to something that's really difficult? Uh, uh, why commit to something that makes you feel sad or leads you to suffer? Why tell the truth? if it's really personally costly or is not politically expedient. Uh, when you could move on and find more pleasure or profit elsewhere, why not cut the cords and find something better? If your needs aren't being met why, and you're not getting fulfillment, why not find a better job or a better church or a better friend or a better spouse, right? In a society that traffics in impermanence and disposability, being faithful for the long haul seems truly 
outdated. And so given all that resists faithfulness inside of us and all the pressure and the, that inhibits faithfulness outside of us, how can we become more faithful people? How can we cultivate faithfulness? Don't you wanna be a more faithful person? I certainly do. Well, this virtue, faithfulness, like all the other virtues, you're probably getting tired of me saying this, is both, you know what I'm gonna say, is both gift and task. Something we receive and something we practice, okay? So let's just look briefly at those two things. First of all, receiving faithfulness as a gift. To receive the gift of faithfulness is to receive the gospel. I want, I really want young people, kids, students, people who are exploring Christianity, I really want you to hear me on this. It's really important that you guys understand this. The message of Christianity, the message of our faith is not about faithful people being good. The message of our faith is about unfaithful people being rescued. It is not about people being good. That's moralism. That's religion. The gospel is about unfaithful people being rescued. It, it, it is the good news that God is absolutely committed to you despite your own unfaithfulness to him. He is so committed that he's given his life for you. Paul says in Romans three, he has this great question. He says, can the unfaithfulness of human beings nullify God's faithfulness to us? And you know what he says? By no means, no act of our unfaithfulness will ever nullify the promise of God. Or he says in 2 Timothy 2, if we are faithless, God will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. Nothing you can ever do, no matter what you do, no matter what others may do to you, no matter what harm or suffering or darkness may befall you, nothing can break the indelible promise of God to you that is already sealed forever through the blood of Christ. It's permanent, indelible, forever. And so we can receive the gift of faithfulness as an amazing truth. And this is interesting because to receive that gift involves you admitting your unfaithfulness. It's, it's ironic, like it, in the gospel, the way up is always the way down. So if you wanna be faithful, you've gotta admit you're unfaithful, right? <laughs> if you wanna be true, you've gotta admit that you're false. And, and the more you confess up to your unfaithfulness and the cowardly, selfish, deceitful impurities of your own heart, the more you can fess up to your own unfaithfulness and receive the love of God for you in Christ, the more of a faithful person you become. I know it's really weird, but that's just the way the gospel works. The way down is the way up. So repentance cleans you out, makes you true, makes you whole, makes you honest before God and others and fills you with the Holy Spirit that you might have fresh resolve to be faithful to the one who is faithful to you. So that's the first thing we can do is we just receive the gift of God's faithful love to us in Christ. But we also need to practice faithfulness as a virtue, as a task. So how can we do that? Well, a lot of different things we could say here. So let me just mention several. Okay, first, as Christians, one of the ways we can be counterculturally faithful is by practicing fidelity in our promises. Let me tell you something you already know. We live in a very unpredictable world with highly unpredictable futures. If you don't know that, you have been living in a cave. Um, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or a year or in five years. We have no idea. 
And that's scary, right? It's scary to live in a world as unpredictable as ours. But here's one way that you can protect yourself against the unpredictability of the world. You can make promises and keep them. Because when you make a promise, what you're actually doing is you're creating an island of certainty somewhere in the unknown future. G.K. Chesterton says, the person who makes a promise makes an appointment with himself at some distant time or place in the unknown. And so when two people make a promise, when you make a promise to another person, you are actually voluntarily binding yourself to another person, regardless of what comes. You're, you're creating a sanctuary of trust in the vast future of unpredictable, the vast jungle of unpredictability in front of you, right? All relationships that last are based firmly in people who are able to make and keep promises. Are y'all, are y'all following what I'm saying here? So, so this is really countercultural and increasingly so because we tend to think of relationships enduring not on the basis of promises, but on the basis of emotions. Uh, um, in modern society, at least love, we tend to think of love as emotion-based rather than promise-based. Love is something that like happens to you. It's a little out of your control. Like you, you know, fall in love like you fall into a ditch or you catch it like you, you catch a virus. It might be too soon to use that analogy, but like love is, it's something passive. It's something that happens to you and it's out of your control. And what we do is we hope in our relationships that that experience of love will endure. Well, what happens if it doesn't? What happens if the feelings of love, as wonderful as they are, what happens if they start to fade? Um, What happens if you no longer find the relationship fulfilling or satisfying? What happens when you feel that way towards someone else that you haven't made the promise to? Um, what, ha- what if something happens to you or your partner that you never anticipated? Like you have a child with a disability or you, one of you has a mental health crisis or one of you gets cancer or one of you gets in an accident. What if keeping a promise means in- inevitably enduring and going through great suffering and pain? See, if, if relationships are based alone on feelings of love, it'll never make it. If based on happiness, it will never last. The only thing that holds things fast in our world is fidelity to promises. I love what Lewis Smeads, the psychologist said. He said, my life has lived with at least five different men since we were married. And each of the five has been me. When I married my wife, you know, how could I know how much she would change over 25 years? How could I know how much I would change? Yet the connecting link with my old self and who I am today is the memory of the name that I took on that day. I am the one who will be with you. Fidelity to our promises is central to what it means to be a faithful person. Now, of course, sometimes our loyalty can become warped into a false allegiance, giving ourselves to those who are hurting or abusing or taking advantage of us. Sometimes people can misuse the idea of faithfulness as an excuse to avoid doing the hard and good thing of walking away. This is why it's so important that our faithfulness to God and God's word is always more important than than anything else. If being loyal to a person or a boss or a company or a country or a spouse is making you do things that are unfaithful to God or to his word, you are mistaking faithfulness for idolatrous allegiance. Sometimes faithfulness to God requires you to overcome your fear and walk away from something 
that is hurting you or hurting others. But with that important caveat, keeping our promises is one of the most powerful ways that we can be a countercultural people. It's in our marriages, in our families, in our friendships, in our jobs, in our role as citizens and societies. The social fabric of our world is held together by promises. Even as a church, we call ourselves covenant partners. The vows we make to one another and the way we review those vows are all affirming that we are promise-keeping people. Without faithfulness to promises, the human community becomes a combat zone of self-maximizers seeking their own happiness at any cost. Proverbs 20, verse six says, many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. We keep our word. Another way that we can be faithful people is honesty in our words. You know, our society has become a lie-drenched society. Um, there's multiple versions of truth to everything, depending on what news source you're watching. Uh, we're more dedicated to spin than substance. Our leaders experience pressure to get in line with whatever narrative is considered to be politically convenient. And yet Proverbs 12, verse 22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. So honesty with our speech the Bible says is central to what it means to be a faithful person. Just this week, someone asked me, uh, there was like this popular article that was going around. Someone asked me, hey, well, have you read that article? And I had seen the article. I had bookmarked the article, but I had not read the article. But when they asked me if I read the article, I said, yes, I read the article. They said, oh, did you think it was good? I said, oh yes, it was good. <laughs> I'm your, this is your pastor, okay. I was thinking about it later and I was thinking to myself, why did I do that? Why, why did I lie like that? I still don't even know why I did. I mean, why do you lie? <laughs> uh, maybe it was because I just wanted him to think that I was smart and that I had read the article. Or maybe it was because like, you know, sometimes you just want like a relational connection with a person. And so you'll just, you know, sort of tell a little social lie just to kind of make a connection. I don't know why I did that. But what I do know is that on Thursday, I started writing a sermon on faithfulness. <laughs> and I started thinking about what I had done. And I started thinking about lots of ways I you know, exaggerate or fudge the truth or, and realize that um, this is what the Bible's talking about when it invites us to see the way that our speech is a sign of whether or not we are faithful people. Uh, white lies and exaggerations and superlatives and little small distortions of the truth and the way we deceive and pretend that we're something that we're not and holding back portions of the truth. It's these small habits of our speech that are actually setting the ultimate course of our lives, determining whether we're faithful people or not. I remember hearing this haunting interview where a guy was in prison for a hit and run. He had accidentally hit a child, had fled the scene and tried to cover it up. And the interview asked him, why did you choose to flee? And what he said was so haunting. He said, when I was a kid, my dad had a gold watch and it was really important to him. And he kept it in his bureau. And one day I was in there and I was playing with the watch and I dropped it and it broke. And instead of fessing up, I just put it back in the drawer and I closed it and walked away. Later, my dad got home, he was, saw the watch, he was furious. He got all the kids together. He said, who broke my watch? I never fessed up, I never owned it. And then he said, what caused me to run in that moment when I hit that kid 
was my decision to lie to my dad, which led to another decision to lie, which led another decision to lie, another decision to cover up, another decision to deceive. It became habitual from that moment on in my life. Now, what he's saying is just so profound because we often think of like that it's the big things, the big events, the crises that shape us. But what he's saying, it's actually the tiny little decisions that we make every single day about our speech and about our words that end up actually setting the course of our lives. So that when he hit that girl, what he did was what he had become. It was already set the kind of person that he was through his words. This is why James says in chapter three of his book that our words, the tongue corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of their life on fire. It's the little decisions every day that fix our character and our destiny. So I'm confessing my own sins of speech. I invite you to as well. Perform a speech audit on yourself this week. Review your day at the end of the day. When did you lie? When did you exaggerate? When did you fudge the truth? When did you, you know, say something was a business expense when it really wasn't? You know, when did you stretch? When did you withhold? Bring that all before the Lord Jesus and invite him to purify your heart so that you can be true with your word as he is true in his own word to you. So honesty in our words. And the last thing I would just say, is that we're called to integrity with our lives. Integrity comes from the Latin word integer, which means whole. To live an integrity, a life of integrity means to live a whole life. You're not fragmented into different pieces. The opposite of integrity is hypocrisy, which comes from the ancient Greek word for actor, hypocrite. A hypocrite, an actor, was someone who could skillfully separate their private life from who they are portraying on the stage. That makes a good actor. This is why Arnold Schwarzenegger was a terrible actor because whether he was like the Terminator or a kindergarten teacher, he could never separate himself from his persona, right? <laughs> right? It's not a Tuma. No, dude, we don't believe you. You're not a teacher, <laughs> whatever. Um, sorry, that was really not helpful. Um, what I'm saying is if you're an actor, it's very helpful to be able to separate who you are from what you're doing on a stage. But if you're human, that's terrible. It's destructive. And we all know people who in their private life are very moral and religious, but in their public life, they're as ruthless and cutthroat as anyone else in the industry. Or the opposite, we know people who are paragons of virtue in their church, but in the home, they're raging and harsh and critical and cold. That's being split, that's being hypocritical. That's a lack of integrity. To practice integrity means that you are living, uh, you're not different in different areas and arenas of life. You're not different in different crowds, different friend groups. You don't say one thing and do another. You don't say one thing and mean another, right? You, you don't say one thing to one person and then do, do something else or say something else to another. When you do that, you're splitting, you're dividing, fragmenting, not just human community, but you're splitting yourself. You're splitting your own soul. So tomorrow, here's a practice. Imagine a little invisible drone with a camera is following you around your entire day. Imagine that. And every, every single thing that you do is filmed. Every word, every tone, every action, every intonation, every connotation, every action, every inaction, every single thing that you do or fail to do, all of it filmed. And then on Monday night, it is all then put on primetime television or put on social media the whole thing, how would you live? 
if every single tiny corner of your life were revealed? How would you live? Would you live differently? Friends, this is our reality. Our whole life is lived open before the God who sees. Our whole life is lived open before Jesus who is Lord. And I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying it to call you to fidelity, to integrity, that we're called to bring every corner of our lives, how we use our words, how we use our money, how we use our time, what we do in the dark, what we do in our bedrooms, what we do in the boardrooms, everything lived out before the God who sees integrity in our lives. So let me close. In a world of compromise and temporality and a society that traffics in dishonesty, broken commitments and disposable relationships, God is calling us to be faithful, to be reliable and dependable, steadfast, people who exhibit fidelity to our promises, honesty with our words, integrity with our lives. And how will that happen? Not through trying hard, but through repentance and faith. Repenting of our unfaithfulness, of our dishonesty and hypocrisy, and receiving again the incredible good news that God sees everything, he knows everything, he knows us fully, He knows into the darkest places and yet he loves and he holds us fast. He will never stop loving us. He will never stop giving up on us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is true. He looks on you in love forever. The more you experience his faithfulness to you, the more you will yearn to live faithfully for him. Let's pray for that. Maybe you just feel led right now to confess some area of your life in which you know that there is unfaithfulness. Uh, Maybe it's a lack of integrity in some part of your life. Maybe it's um, the way that you realize that you have not been honest with your words, too sloppy with your words. Uh, Maybe it's the way that you've broken promises, you've broken your word in ways that are expedient to you. Whatever the spirit might be convicting you of, would you just speak to that? God, he already sees it. So just name it to him and receive his love and his grace for you. Father, we all long to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And we know that that comes only and through the righteousness of Jesus given to us through him. And we thank you, God, that we are whole and that you hold us fast and you will never leave us, that despite our lack of faith, despite our coldness of heart, uh, despite our faltering um, devotion, um, despite everything that keeps us cold, you never stop loving us. You hold us fast. So Lord, help us to take that knowledge of your own faithfulness to us and may it spur us on to live lives of wholeness, transparency, honesty, truth, reliability, steadfastness. We know we won't get it right, but help us to ever grow in this virtue that we might more resemble Jesus. We pray in his name, amen.